Welcome to Common Home Conversations Pathway to 2022, a series by the Planetary Podcast, part of the Civil Society Celebration and Declaration for Stockholm Plus 50, a half century later after the historic 1972 UN Conference on the Human Environment. In Common Home Conversations, you will hear high-level political and public figures, academics, and influential activists discuss what should be the content of the high-level declaration foreseen for 2022. Our planet faces a myriad of catastrophic environmental challenges, from climate change to widespread biodiversity loss to desertification. The science is clear. The state of our global environment is deteriorating at an unprecedented rate, highlighting the need for fundamental transformative changes across our legal, economic, social, political, and technological spheres. Thus, there is an urgent need to reach a common ground within civil society and around it build a civil society declaration with the potential to be the needed starting point for a paradigm shift towards a safe and sustainable future for our global community. Common Home Conversations is the place to discuss the challenges posed by climate change, as well as possible solutions to help create a stabilized Earth and ensure that the Civil Society 2022 Declaration can be a true game-changer. Now, here is your host, founder, and CEO of the Planetary Press, Kimberly White. Hello, and welcome to Common Home Conversations. Today, we're joined by Maria Espinoza, president of the 73rd session of the United Nations General Assembly and former Ecuadorian Minister of Foreign Affairs, and Isabel Teixeira, co-chair of the United Nations Environment Program's International Resource Panel and former Minister for the Environment of Brazil. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you, Kimberly, and we are delighted to be with you once again, and uh, it's a privilege to be here in this conversation with Isabella Teixeira. Leading up to Stockholm Plus 50, civil society is organizing Stockholm Plus 49, a global event focusing on building common ground and creating a common short declaration to spark a much-needed paradigm shift. In your opinion, what issues should be at the center of a meaningful declaration? Maria, let's start with you. Well, I think that it is extremely timely to come up with a renewed commitment to having a planet that sustains life and human societies. After the landmark declaration on the Stockholm Conference 49 years ago, I think it is time for a recommitment but not only from governments, but from society as a whole to make sure that we respect nature, its life cycles, its very existence. On the other hand, I think that we need to think in the 21st century what it means 50 years ago, practically. The right to a healthy environment and to live in a healthy environment, the idea of uh, the earth system being a common heritage and a global public good or a common good, and to see also what is the relationship between politics, nature, and the economy. So I think that there is a need for a new commitment, a new pact between society and nature. So I think that this declaration cannot be more timely. Absolutely. Thank you, Maria. Now, Isabella, I'd like to pose the same question to you. 
What issues should be at the center of this meaningful declaration? Oh, thank you very much, Kimberly. I think that Maria will bring some critical issues, but I'd like to add two or three things. We need to understand the right and the moral obligation to a health environment. What it means, because we are coming into these new challenges, but unfortunately, not based, not considered the same conditions of development around the world. You have inequalities, not only the social ones, you have also environmental inequalities. We are looking forward to address the future with new footprints, but more than this, we're looking forward to understand better how we go into the future to tell new stories based on the future, not based on the past. My feeling is that we need to understand what the health environment means for us, for humankind, consider the next years, and what are the challenges that we need to tackle better. We need a new expression of humanism around the world, and what shared responsibility means, not only rights, but also obligations. That's why I think when Maria mentioned that not only from the government that we need the commitment, we need the commitment and a new behavior, a new understanding, considering from the societies. When you discuss societies, not only the global society, we need to understand local needs, we need to understand better how you can manage local needs with global core benefits, how you can address local needs to achieve also global core benefits, and we need to understand that the global impact should not be seen as transboundary impact. This is something really important in science, it's a good player to come together with us, because transboundary impacts, it's an understanding that we had in the last century, and it is very important to be addressed, but global impacts move beyond transparent impacts. And this means that we as global society, with societies interconnected at the global level, we have new responsibility. We need to understand what it means. We need to understand how our gaps of development should be solved, consider the future that we're looking for to design or redesign. But we need to understand the rights to choose. And this is something very important because we need choices. This is the power that individually and collectively as society have. We need to look for new alternatives for economic growth, not necessarily without limits. This is something very important to observe. You need to decouple the environmental impacts for economic growth. It's important. We need to manage better natural resources. It's absolutely important. But we need to understand also the limits of growth and economic growth and consider the challenge that the planet is open today. Like a Pandora box, say, look, I cannot manage 10 billion people in the planet without managing new conditions, new way to approach economic growth and social development. So inequality is a critical issue. In my perspectives, I think that declaration, not only declaration, but the process, the movement that global society is doing now, uh, we need to look for a new enlightenment. We need to make sure that you can have a democracy and also that you have a new relationship between humankind and nature. We need to move forward to understand that uh, this is a big challenge for humankind, but also if you want to change, we have the power to change. We as individuals and the society. And we need to put pressure, not on the state, we need to put pressure on ourselves because we need to understand how we need to demand change. And this is my perspective considered the new declaration and the process that we put in practice now. This leads me to my next question. International environmental law seems unable to bring about social ecological change at the level and speed necessary to address the converging crises that we face. It has remained state-centered, beholding only to the state for the central source of its legitimacy and authority. 
Non-state stakeholders, NGOs, and civil society movements do not play any meaningful role in the negotiation, enforcement, or revision of multilateral environmental agreements, which still seem to be the mainstay of international environmental law. Maria, what should be the role of civil society in the design of this declaration? Well, I think that uh, we hear time and again that we need a rejuvenated multilateral system that we need a new architecture in global governance. And what we created 76 years ago when the UN was established, the social fabric, the geopolitics have changed so much. And the voice of civil society is very important, not only because they should have a say in global affairs, but also because we are experiencing a crisis of trust and legitimacy in institutions. And in my opinion, the only way to counter this deficit trust is to make sure that all the voices are heard and that we really advocate for what the UN Secretary General has stated so many times, an inclusive and networked multilateralism. And what that means is that when you are to take a decision about the future of humanity, because a declaration, a renewed declaration after 50 years of Stockholm really needs the voice of academia, of uh, younger generations, youth leaders and change makers, women, indigenous peoples, persons with disabilities the private sector, the philanthropic sector, to take part not only in the discussion, but on the decision-making. Because basically, what we are trying to do, and Isabella was so clear about it, is to shape a new pact between society, the economy, politics, and the environment. We really need to make peace with nature. And what we have done in the past 50 years after Stockholm is absolutely incomprehensible. If you see that one million animal and plant species are threatened uh, with extinction, and extinction is forever, you know, it's forever. And that is a report from 2019. When you see that we have adopted the 17 sustainable development goals, and most of them, depend on healthy ecosystems, we see that we are not going to achieve the zero hunger target for 2030, and the health for all and universal health coverage by 2030, the uh, sustainable cities target, etc., etc., and not to mention the Paris Agreement on Climate. The only way to do it is a changing mindset, is a whole of society responsibility and approach, And of course, here, the accountability from governments is central. And when I say that, Kimberly and Isabella, I really say we really need for Stockholm Plus 50 a political declaration to recommit to the main principles, but at the same time to really work on a paradigm shift we cannot continue to do business as usual and expect different results. 
we are altering and affecting our biodiversity. Our climate change targets are completely out of reach if we continue in the same path. We are seeing the plastic pollution, the acidification of our oceans, depletion of life underwater, etc., etc. So all the indicators are not right. And this means that we cannot continue to do the same things. We need basically a fundamental shift in our production and consumption patterns. We need a renewed political commitment. We need what Isabella mentioned so eloquently. We need leadership. And believe me, Kimberly, I'm not a supporter of these messianic leaders that come and change the world. When I say leadership, it's shared leadership between all of us. It's societal leadership. It's a mindset in society regarding the need to reconcile with nature. And uh, you mentioned about the insufficiency, the lack of uh, outcomes and intangible results of our international environmental law architecture. And it is true. We have conventions, protocols for everything. As some say that we have more than 1,000 international environmental agreements, but we are looking at nature and the earth system in silos. So we have the conventions on chemicals, the convention on biodiversity, the convention on climate, the convention, well, not a convention yet, but the forest principles, well, you name it wetlands, CITES for wildlife trade, etc., etc. We have a series of pieces, but we do not have an umbrella, something that would embrace and reflect how we need to address our earth system, our commons, our common heritage. And I think this is a main transformation since uh, Stockholm uh, almost 50 years ago. And we have to remember the 26 principles of the Stockholm Declaration, especially Principle 21, speaking about sovereignty of, of states to decide over their natural resources. And I fully support and agree with that. But we need to reinterpret sovereignty in the context of our uh, common heritage and common goods. And as Isabella very well mentioned, what are the alternatives and the solutions to fight poverty and inequality at the same time as uh, we preserve our earth system? And they are not at odds at all. On the contrary, they're mutually reinforcing. And uh, as Isabella said so clearly, we need to decouple a development and the fight against poverty to nature and ecosystems depletion. They don't need to go together. Absolutely not. When you look at the pattern of uh, CO2 gas emissions, you see, you know, uh, where are the biggest emissions and who are the burden bearers, uh, which is uh, mainly the global south and small island developing states, for example. So there is a lot to do. The voice of civil society is extremely important. Uh, we are in this together, as we say. But of course, governments are accountable and are responsible because we have elected them to represent our common interests. And back to you, Kimberly, of course. No, absolutely. I completely agree, Maria. If we are to survive, it is imperative that we shift away from business as usual because what we're doing is not sustainable. 
Now, Isabella, can civil society be the vital component needed in initiating and driving the structural changes that we need? Yes, and uh, I think that the society must <laughs> do this, okay? In my perspective, I fully agree with Maria when we are discussing the role of the Declaration and also this new momentum after 50 years. You cannot forget that 50 years ago, when you have this conference, you have the decisions from developing economies that oriented that the debate about environmental concerns should come together with development concerns. It's very important to go back into history the and to understand the diplomatic movements of 50 years ago and indeed how developing countries talked about the challenge in 1972. Since then, you have been working hard to consider this multilateral agenda. Environmental concerns move beyond concerns. There's a structural issue today, it's a geopolitical issue today, and this means that the, the nations, the states and societies, everyone should understand their roles and also uh, make clear that the declaration is a new way to put voice in these new requirements that uh, we need in this century if you want to address concrete solutions for the problems that Maria highlights very well, but also more than this, as the Secretary General mentioned, and as Maria highlighted here, this inclusive and network multilateralism that we need. Transparency and access and also solutions. My feeling is that it's absolutely important when you discuss the role of civil society and the signs of the declarations, what the only design the declarations, is the process of the engagement of civil societies and how we can think together about our challenges. When you're going to address the declaration to understand what the issue, the different thoughts about our commitment and our, how our different perspective, how we see the problems and how would you like to address solutions and how would you like to stress the multilateral system, it's very important that you can understand that behind the scenes, you have nature, but you have human development as the core of our challenges. We need to discuss human development. We need to face the challenges. We need to understand how international cooperation, multilateral system, or inclusive multilateral system will bring human development in the new steps, consider the challenges around the world. We need to understand the impacts, for example, of the scarcity of natural resource and also the environmental conditions that you put pressure on migrations or environmental displacement. What is happening around the world? What are the roots of the problem? And this means that global societies around the world need to understand the dynamics of the transitions. If you want to address this perspective, this strategic perspective, but you need to understand the short-term perspective, the impact of short-term perspective, how we like to solve the short-term problems, how indeed we like to create some transition conditions to facilitate to bring people together. So we know who you are. We know what are the societies around the world. We know how indigenous peoples are looking for to address that, fight against the problems. You know how the private sector, what's being demanded. But what's not clear is how to act together, consider the transformative challenges that we face today, not only consider the COVID crisis, but post-COVID crisis. COVID brings the future to the present. This is something very important to be seen. And we need to understand how to act with purpose and also with responsibilities. I fully agree that civil society can be the vital component needed to initiate and drive structural change that we need. It's right. But it's not only to start to be co-responsible, to address, to act, to understand the trade-offs, to make clear the difficult, to make clear what are the gaps, to make clear what is the transition mission, make clear for people to bring hope 
in such a way that people can address not only dreams, but concrete measures or actions that will address local needs in the short perspective. My feeling is that the international system must improve its performance. We are learning this with the COVID crisis. But the world is changing. As the world is changing, we need to strengthen the international system, but we need to bring society into this room. We need to understand what society means. If we need change, we need to dialogue with whom that wants this. And we need to understand why they want this. If not, it's impossible to make the adjustments that we need to ensure a new relationship between humankind and nature. I do believe that civil society has more than the role, has responsibility to design the declaration. But we need to understand what are the demands and how we can bring different societies together and what are the common rules that will define or reframe the platform that humankind needs to face nature challenges. And more than this, to dialogue, as Maria made clear, that we need this is inclusive and network multilateralism. We need to understand how international community is closer to the national and subnational players. If not, you have a different understanding of the problems. You can have the common root of the problem, but you have a different understanding how to approach the problems, how to address solutions. It's unbelievable. If you go into, for example, let's rename the developing countries and developing countries based on nature footprints. Let's see what's happened. Let's try to make clear our responsibility. If you want to change, we need to understand our responsibility along the years. And we need to make clear how we will be open to manage, to be free, to understand that you need a new equation, bring nature and humankind together. For this, we need to bring the young people into the room and make it clear that to address the future, we need to address the present. So my feeling, it is very important to understand this year in the next years, how we will have this new declaration of modernities, how we mobilize people beyond Stockholm Plus 50 conference. Excellent points, Isabella. And just to add on about the COVID crisis, you know, recent research has shown that more than 70% of the emerging infectious diseases that we are seeing are zoonotic in origin. So it just goes to show how interconnected we are to our environment. Because, you know, it all traces back to environmental degradation. The human encroachment into these spaces is essentially promoting and giving a chance for these zoonotic diseases such as COVID to enter our society. Yes, I fully agree. We need to understand today, in 21st century, what the meaning to be interconnected. You have two new ages that are coming. We have the climate age and you have the digital age. What will be the citizenship that will emerge from this? How indeed we express our wills and our responsibility? How indeed we share our vision? So my feeling, as you mentioned, considering COVID crisis and the pandemic, etc., etc., that we are facing some situations that, in my perspective, should not exist. For example, vaccines inequalities and how the countries closed their frontiers last year and how we did. We are so worried or frightened, consider the threats that we exposed together around the world. It's something very important to be observed, Kimberly, that I don't know if uh, probably uh, Maria agrees with me, but it was the first time uh, in my generation that we faced together different people around the world, different societies around the world. At the same time, the risk to face the death without alternatives. 
And this is something very important to think about it. My feeling is that we need to understand better what humankind will demand from the nature and for also the societies around the world if you want to have a better life, if you want to feel safe. My feeling is that uh, this new future that are coming will give us some additional tasks to approach in a different ways that we used uh, to approach in the last years. I'll give another example. If you go into the new green economies, like bioeconomies, and we are discussing this today in my country and also in Amazon region about bioeconomy and stand-up forests, what would be the role of the products from the forest to tackle hunger, not only in Brazil, but around the world? This is very important. Also, how we can manage better uh, to have poverty eradication with this stand-up forest economy that's coming. The new business model, the new trade requirements to manage this, the new demands of consumers around the world. This is very important if you want to change. And in my opinion, not want to change. We need to change. Absolutely. Thank you, Isabella. So we've seen a myriad of international initiatives and commitments from governments since 1972. Despite developments in environmental law and governance and enhanced knowledge of the issues at hand, we are yet where we need to be. Globally, we have failed to meet the Aichi biodiversity targets set in 2010, and while progress has been made, and Maria touched on this a few minutes ago, we are on track to miss the sustainable development goals. The 1972 Stockholm Declaration states that the protection and improvement of the environment is the duty of all governments. Maria, can we achieve the ambitious and urgent action needed through the initiatives of states alone? Well, I think that is a whole-of-society effort and it requires co-responsibility and leadership. But here we are dealing with something that even sometimes I would say goes beyond the sustainable development goals, which is the very survival of humanity. You know, human security is at stake. Kimberly, you mentioned the issue of zoonotic diseases, meaning health responses to an abuse of nature. I say, and this is sad to say, but it's real. Zoonotic diseases are a symptom. It's nature talking to us, saying, you have gone too far. You have breached the uh, planetary boundaries. You humans have done that. And the way of nature to speak back to us is basically when we have to face pandemics of the dimensions and the multiple impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I see this, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic as a symptom of a dysfunctional system that really ignores the planetary boundaries. And I think this is what needs to be healed through a new social contract. And when you speak about a declaration, the Stockholm Plus 50 declaration or a previous declaration coming from civil society, putting forward the principles of your system being a common heritage of the right to a healthy environment, etc., etc., I think more than the declaration itself, because it can become one more of these international instruments that have an implementation deficit. It is very important to look at the process, to look at the awakening of a global society, use the energy of young people, of 
Fridays for Climate of uh, academics and scientists and the private sector that is also, and most of it at least, committed to what I would say is an imperative ecological transition. We don't have an option. And you mentioned the Sustainable Development Goals, Kimberly, but, you know, let's go one by one. Can we achieve the fighting poverty goal uh, if we destroy nature, which is the very foundation of our survival? The short response is no. Can you uh, reach the zero hunger uh, sustainable development goal if we continue to destroy our soils and lands and increase deforested and degraded lands? The quick response is no, we cannot. We don't take seriously the Paris Agreement and our commitments on mitigation, but also on adaptation and resilience building. The response is obviously, no, we are not going to achieve the sustainable development goals. So here we don't have a choice. Our survival as a species is under threat and we have a huge responsibility. Even when we take the decisions as citizens, when we take decisions on our consumption choices, when we take decisions, when we elect a president, you know, sometimes we elect presidents without looking at what are, you know, the ecological transition plans for X or Y candidate, because things are really not going well. If you look at the climate indicators, they're really frightening. You know, the last five years have been at the hottest in recent history, which means that we are so far behind not only of the Sustainable Development Goals, but also regarding the Paris Agreement and our nationally determined contribution, which is the national commitments on reducing uh, CO2 emissions and climate-related emissions. So I think to make uh, the story short, when we you say it is enough to get the commitment and to have government sign a particular declaration, even if the declaration is perfect, is wonderful, it's all-encompassing, it's exactly what we wanted, if there is no societal ownership and co-responsibility, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult. I agree with you, Maria. The health of our people, of our nations, depends on the health of our environment. So it's really important that we prioritize that moving forward. And you mentioned our consumption patterns. One thing I'd like to add is that it's been estimated that upwards of 1 million species are on the brink of extinction right now, which you mentioned earlier. But research from the World Wildlife Fund found that the leading drivers of the species loss we are witnessing are the overexploitation of species, agriculture, and land conversion that is linked to our consumption. And a lot of that can be linked to consumption specifically in wealthier nations such as the United States. Absolutely, absolutely. So there is a lot of homework ahead of us. And as I say, not only to contribute to draft a declaration, but uh, to contribute to change mindsets, to change our choices how we consume, how we coexist with others, how we relate and commit to be active citizens that are co-responsible to the future of our countries, but also to the future of humanity. And I think that we have learned incredible lessons from young leaders worldwide as well. 
Absolutely. Now, Isabella, given your expertise, what would you say are the main challenges of getting states to commit to taking urgent, immediate action on environmental issues such as climate change? This is a, an excellent question, but my feeling is that um, it's a simple answer. Natural societies are key players to make the state changes. And we need to discuss it with our national societies, the strategic perspectives that uh, you have as societies, as countries, considering the global challenges that uh, we need to tackle, like climate change. It's not only climate change, you have three environmental a global crisis, as you know, you have climate change, you have biodiversity loss and also pollution. And uh, if you want to change, if you want that the governments change, if you want that the governments can take urgent and immediate actions on environmental issues, we need to pressure, we need to change. If society is not able to change, probably the states will postpone everything, as it used to be in the last years. We took more than the 20 years to achieve a climate agreement where everyone's, every country would be on board. You have the first understanding about shared responsibilities, considering developed economies. And uh, almost 20 years after uh, Kyoto Protocol, we are not able to address the solutions that the climate recommends should be addressed. And finally, we have a new century. And uh, you had the understanding that developed economies or emerging economies should join the developed economies to address concrete solutions. As Maria mentioned, if you go into the global emitters, carbon emitters, countries and societies, you can see that you have not only developed, but you have developing economies today. And what it means? That we need to understand that uh, we do have the responsibility, but of course, we need to find new way to share our strategic perspectives, consider the global threats, but also our local needs and innovative way to promote sustainable development. As mentioned before, you have sustainable development goals. I was part of the team that proposed this to the Secretary General, and you have also Agenda 2030. But indeed, you have now new time frame considering the decade of transition, and you have climate change, considering the Paris Agreement implementation, and probably you have this new post framework on biodiversity after the COP15, that we need to bring things together with a rationality, a political rationality that's not necessarily clear for other societies around the world. So we need to go beyond the silos, the political and economic silos that you have today at the international community, and you need to bring the things together. That's why I mentioned before the declaration considered the common goods of planetary boundary or a new understanding of the civil society around the world should be so provocative to make sure how we are interconnected, not only because of our problems, but because of the solutions that we need, and also how we need to share a new understanding about timing. If you want to address the main challenges or get the states committed, we need to bring societies committed. And this means that the national demands and also international interests like international trade should play or must play an innovative role, not only to put pressure on, but also to rebuild this interest or to make sure how we can move faster to address solutions, concrete solutions, because in my opinion, timing is also different today. As you mentioned before, and also, Maria, make it clear, when we discuss the zoonosis disease, in my opinion, it's a symptom, I fully agree. But what are the roots of this? 
and you go into deforestation, deforestation that's put pressure on the world the last 30 years, for example, Amazon deforestation, and that, that society like Brazil, we learn how to tackle this, but unfortunately we have political interests that put us back to backsliding. But indeed, what is saying? Zoonosis, what zoonosis means? We want to have different species that come together and we have a disruptive ecological process that probably will expose humankind for the disease. And this means that you need to understand better the cause and effects relationship. And you need to make clear that's not only threatens. This means that we need to prevent, we need to avoid the situations and to find a new way to promote human development and to understand better how we can have a new relationship between nature and humankind. So nature-based solutions, as we are sharing today, with different, different perspectives around the world, this is very important to have also an inclusive political approach. People need to feel part of the new solution arrangements with responsibilities and a step-by-step process. Build confidence is not an easy task. Everyone's noticed. But if you're not able to build confidence based on the realities and not on perspectives, probably we will fail again. Okay? We need to go into the realities. We need to understand how local needs makes Mary, Jones, Harris part of the solutions and make clear that we have to face step by step to understand how we can manage the trade-offs and how indeed we have a common understanding about how to be fair. And this is not easy. And in my opinion, we need to make clear the shared responsibility with the states and political leaders. And for this, only society can go there, make clear, try to understand what are the trade-offs, try to make sure what are the priorities, try to make sure how much time you take to address some concrete solutions and convince people that this is a new way, not only to face a global challenge, but to improve your quality of life. If people will understand when you discuss at the local levels that I want to address solutions to improve your quality of life and that you are responsible to maintain this new environment that is coming. So if you are able to go into there, not only to dialogue at international level, not only to go to New York or France or even Beijing, but to go into the cities and you go to the small city and discuss with people that we are looking for together to address global solutions based on also considering local needs, be sure that you have additional pressure on governments and it makes sense for the politics that we need to change today, not necessarily uh, the next 10 years. The changes that you need to be done need to begin now, okay? And for this, we need to have a clear understanding about problems, yes, but you have this. We need to understand better how the solution will come together, consider the diversity of the societies around the world, consider the diversity of alternatives and solutions that we have around the world, and how this diversity fits better for our local needs or local realities. This makes sense. This is the common language that you need. We need to bring people together, the common understanding, the common language that we are acting together. Consider our specificities, our diversity, but we are humankind. We cannot forget it and we are part of nature. So this is for me a big challenge to make clear that nature is something touchable. You can see nature, you can see uh, the landscapes, you can see our rivers, etc. So people must act looking for a better life. And uh, you can never forget about the limits 
that we have today, the political limits and economic limits, we need to face this, and also we cannot forget about local needs. As soon as able to address local needs in short-term perspectives, be sure that we have a huge engagement of civil society around the world, and we will be able to change the states. Thank you. Back to you, Kimberly. Thank you, Isabella. Now, in recent years, we've witnessed a shift in the conversation surrounding climate change, with an increased focus on human rights and climate justice. In April, the German Federal Court of Justice ruled that the nation's current climate legislation limits the rights of its youth, violating the country's constitution. The German court's decision is largely considered to be a win for future generations, while providing a major boost for future climate litigation around the globe. Isabella, as the world develops solutions and strategies to tackle the climate emergency, do you believe we have an obligation to work toward intergenerational equity in order to safeguard future generations? Yes, of course. Here in Brazil, you have a recent political movement very interesting that I support as a former minister. You have a group of young people that took decision to sue the government, the Brazilian government, because of the update of the Brazilian decision. It's fascinating because it's exactly this, as I mentioned before. We need to understand the local needs and the future is today. So you need to mobilize young people, new generations, everyone to come and to understand better what, as you mentioned, what intergeneration legacy means. To discuss the future, we need to discuss the present. It's something absolutely concrete. For politics, we need this. Okay, we cannot forget this. So when you go and you take a decision today on climate or nature crisis, for example, we are bringing the future to the present. This is the urgency of the present, Kimberly. Make good things happen today. It's absolutely important. You cannot only tell the stories based on the future to say that it will happen only in 2050. No, we need to make clear how it will be better in 2050, but we need to make clear how it will be better in 2025 and 2026. And that we are part of this process, that you can change your reality, not only somebody that you don't know who is. So my feeling is that it's a transformative process. And to be a transform, to have this transformative process, we need to have actions today in the present. If not, we cannot understand what the future means. And the, the legacy, it's part of our history today. Okay, or the new stories that we want to tell about the future. We need to understand that we have a legacy, we have an asset, if you go step by step. If not, it's something untouchable, something that you cannot see, you cannot postpone anything that means solutions for humankind and for nature today. Absolutely. We don't have time to wait. We need to take ambitious action right now. Now, Maria, how could the foreseen declaration make a difference on this critical topic? Well, I cannot agree more with Isabella that the issue of dealing with the future starts today and the future starts today as we speak. The issue of intergenerational climate justice, for example, but I would say intergenerational justice in general is at the center, not only regarding our future plans, but regarding the policy choices and decisions that we take today. And I've been a great supporter and an advocate of young people being active participants in decision-making tables. And I'm not only saying this. Uh, When I was president of the UN General Assembly, there was no high-level meeting, no global conversation without having young change makers at the table. And not only as tokens, uh, not only to co-opt their energy, but on the contrary, 
you know, being active participants where you need to take very seriously their worldviews, uh, their commitments, their positions, their agendas. And I think it is the only way uh, to build a, a better present and a better future for all. You know, we are so used to repeating the phrases, uh, uh, young people are the future. No, no, they are the present they're active, they're engaged, they are well-informed, well-networked, active participants in the social media, and they have to be part of this collective effort of this shared leadership, uh, concerted action in favor of maintaining and sustaining our earth system. And of course, this has to be translated into the declaration, the Stockholm Plus 50 declaration. There are so many things that continue to be relevant when you look at the 1972 declaration, but there are so many other issues that have changed dramatically. 50 years ago, we weren't even thinking about the depth and the scope of the climate crisis and uh, the urgent need not only to change our uh, consumption patterns, but also to invest in mitigation and adaptation, especially in the developing world, uh, technology transfer, etc., etc. In 72, we were not even thinking about a staggering extinction crisis. We were not even thinking about the technological uh, revolution and how to use technologies and the new technologies not to destroy, but to protect our ecosystems and the earth system. We weren't even thinking about the deepening of inequalities and the symptom of a dysfunction of a society such as the COVID-19 pandemic. And let's be clear, it's not about only understanding the origin of zoonotic diseases uh, such as COVID or the SARS or influenza for that matter. Not only to understand that, but to also look at what has happened. Because uh, let's only look at the trillions of dollars of recovery packages that are being poured into the economy, especially of the countries of the North. Where is the money going? Where are the trillions going? There are so many assessments and studies that are so worried, saying, for example, that less than 2% is being invested in sustainable growth or in the green economy or in a regenerative economy. How much is being used with an ecological green mindset is very little. The same when you look, for example, at investment in women, in rural women in women's rights, in gender equality. And unfortunately, we are seeing the same old normal. And the old normal has brought us to the situation we are now. If you look at how the world is behaving on the access and distribution of uh, COVID-19 vaccines, it shows clearly that we are in a crisis of solidarity, in a crisis of cooperation that our multilateral system needs to be fit for purpose. And I think that all these critical issues should be put into the dialogue table when we are drafting this uh, Stockholm Plus 50 declaration. It is not only about the environment. And let's be clear, it is not only about the environment. It is about our development models, about our value systems, it is about the way we think about the future. It is about our collective security and our human security. 
it is about living in harmony in a way. These are already made phrases, but they make sense how to reconcile with nature. We have a long-lasting debt with nature's integrity. And I think that uh, this declaration sometimes are a pretext or a raison d'être for a new global pact between nature, the economy, and society, as we mentioned. And we know that uh, the Global Pact for the Environment is uh, work in progress uh, with uh, great challenges uh, ahead. But beyond the declaration, I think that the, the Global Pact for the Environment is going to be also this platform for encounter, for uh, concerted action, for uh, renewed commitment to the basic values of uh, solidarity, coexistence, in not only the rights of humans to live in a healthy environment, but also the rights of existence uh, of nature, its life cycles, uh, the integrity of its ecosystems. And I am um, a great defender of that because I work directly with uh, the drafting of the Ecuadorian constitutions that, as you know, uh, recognizes rights to nature. And this of course, it's a paradigm shift because uh, uh, usually nature is seen as an object and not as a subject of rights. But this is part of the mindset that needs to change with loud voices uh, from society, from young leaders, from women, from indigenous peoples, as mentioned before. All right, and there you have it. We cannot continue to do business as usual and expect different results. The old normal has brought us to the situation we are in now with climate change, plastic pollution, the acidification of our oceans, air pollution, the overexploitation of resources, widespread biodiversity loss, and the list goes on. Human security is at stake and our survival as a species is under threat. It is time for a renewed commitment to the basic values of solidarity and coexistence. The right of humans to live in a healthy environment. The rights of the existence of nature, its life cycles, and the integrity of its ecosystems. A new pact between society, the economy, politics, and the environment. The 2022 Civil Society Declaration can bring a paradigm shift that recognizes the common ground to build a safe and sustainable future for human civilization. A common good that belongs to all generations. That is all for today, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Common Home Conversations Pathway to 2022. Please subscribe, share, and be sure to tune in on July 14th for part two of this episode with Maria Espinoza and Isabella Tashira. And visit us at www.theplanetarypress.com for more episodes and the latest news in sustainability, climate change, and the environment.